Our Podcast, a global conversation hosted by Alex Resvan Vienna. Hello and welcome back to the Retail Podcast. Today we're going to focus on the future of athleisure and we're very lucky to be joined by Marion Rabat, who is the co-founder and CEO of Ernest Vietti. If you don't know who they are, they've appeared in The Telegraph, The Financial Times, Tatler, Vogue, Women's Health. They're a Parisian-inspired brand, so they've appeared in the French press. Marion, hello and welcome. Hi, very nice. Uh, talk to you. Thanks a lot for having me. I found that just by doing a little bit of research for, for the for the podcast, your your journey into creating a a modern day digital brand. I don't know if it is normal or wasn't normal, but you you, you didn't sort of come from the retail background. You, if I'm correct, you came from investment banking. Yeah, no, that that's correct. So I worked for uh, ten years in finance. Um, before setting up GOT, and I actually trained as an engineer, so I'm also an engineer. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's actually very, very unusual. Um, I I think it, it led to two things. One is that I definitely did not have. Um, I didn't know how things were supposed to be, so I wasn't experienced. It's not something I had done before. And, you know, that has both positives and negatives, I guess. On the, on the negative side, I mean, I had to recreate everything from scratch. But on the positive side, it meant that I could just do things my way rather than the way, you know, a certain industry thinks, um, things need to be done. So I think all in all, it was very positive. It must have taken a heck of a lot of courage. Like great leaders, you didn't think about that you had, you had any courage, but. No, in retrospect, I, I mean, I would say now that I've done it again, now that I've done it once, um, I could definitely do it again and much better. Um, I remember one of the reasons, you know, I built Leo's is because my brother had a startup and I could see him and, you know, it seemed a certain way from the outside, which basically I didn't think it would be that tough. Um, I didn't realize it. So, and I think people can't really understand unless they've done it themselves. But from a courage standpoint, I think when you start something, I mean, I don't know, at least myself, I was more like easy about it. You know, I was like, well, if it doesn't work out, I'll just go back to what I was doing before. So I was still quite young and... Um, because I had thought, you know, do I do it now in my early 30s or do I wait till I'm like 50 or something? And I was like, who knows where I'll be when I'll be 50. But if you did have some words of wisdom for a 22 or three-year-old Marion, what would be sort of your words of wisdom? What, what what, what, What have you learned that you wish you sort of knew back then? Is your question relating to my startup or in general? Well, I think it's interesting, right? So however you want to interpret it. So whether it's a, a life. I would, say, I would say my my main words would be, first of all, you know, the fact that things will fall into place. So actually, I'll give you an example. I, when I was a stu- before I was a student, I actually hesitated between studying engineering or going to art school. Right. Um, now I'm in a, somewhere where I can kind of 
um, do both, you know, at the same time. So I think we all have a path and we all end up kind of where we're supposed to be. And then the second advice I would have had is to just go with the flow. And I think the most important thing is actually the people you meet and what you learn rather than, you know, some other milestones people may have, I guess. Sure. Thank you. A little diversion off the uh, the roots about talking about the, the amazing brand. Tell me, where, where did you get the inspiration for the name? So actually, I wanted to revive an old French brand. One of the reasons being that I'm obviously French, but I grew up uh, mostly in London. And people abroad, both in London and New York, and people would, you know, always comment on the fact that I'm French and how they think, you know, French uh, people are so chic. And um, at the same time, I had worked at the Louvre Museum when I was a student. And I had found, you know, these archives of all these amazing old French brands from the late 1800s. Uh, all these brands, and there are a lot of them. Um, have kind of disappeared. And one of those brands was Ernest Riotti. He was a corset maker from the late 1800s and he had introduced stretch into corsetry. And I just thought it would be an amazing brand to revive for many reasons. The main one being he was so relevant to today's world and the movement of athleisure, the movement of people wanting to dress more comfortably. The reason being, he his motto was basically to introduce comfort into corsetry. Wow. Um, and at the same time, his aesthetic really resonated with me. Yeah. And the corset, obviously, well, sorry, early on played a, a major part. You have a very distinct style or very distinct, yeah, from distance. You can almost tell it's a, a Leoti. Uh, well, <laughs> well, I can with my, with my lay eyes. We've obviously just come out and some places in Europe are still in lockdown. I've read the headlines about athleisure companies doing very well or having a a good time during the lockdown. How has the last four months been for you during the sort of crazy times that we've just gone through? I think I was definitely extremely lucky to be in a segment, um, as you said, that did perform well during lockdown. I think um, COVID and lockdown were transformational for my business in two ways. So one, for sure, people spend more time at home. They don't go to the office anymore or much less than, than they used to. Also, they spent all this time during lockdown working out from home, you know, sitting somewhere where no one else would see them. So in that sense, they've gotten used to wearing a lot of comfortable clothing, athleisure, um, and the, this is a trend I'm sure that's going to continue in the future. So, you know, I think it's, for us it was a positive because people definitely spend more in, in that clothing category. Yeah. And then the second point, which is really interesting, is the digitalization of the business. So we were lucky to have already our website ready, but our online sales have performed very well. And and I think people in general have gotten more and more comfortable with buying online. Um, so I think it's both for the purchasing channel, but also the communication channel. So, for example, we are very active on Instagram. We launched um, all these home classes, which people could do from their homes, like, uh, you know, yoga classes and things like that. And it's something that will stay with us um, throughout the years. So I think... 
for sure, lockdown has been transformational on everyone and, yeah. and business and work, but even more so for us as a category. The luxury active wear which you operate in is niche, but yet broad in that sense. And I think obviously what COVID has done is expanded that. On your website, you talk about ethically made in Europe. So you're very proud of your French heritage. You're very proud that your products are made in Europe. And sustainability, how much of that plays a part in your mind as a leader? No, definitely. I think that that's that's a really good question. And I would say it's at the forefront of our thought process. You know, we would love to be fully sustainable. And any decision we make is with that goal in mind. Um, we are extremely proud to be, um, you know, 100% made in Europe for many reasons. Uh, sustainability, ethics, transport, you know, a, a lot of that goes into it, but it's also into the very big, uh, craftsmanship heritage that, you know, Europe has. And also it's one of the reasons why our products are sometimes, uh, more expensive than some other brands, you know. If you're a brand who sells, you know, a bra for 30 pounds, the only way you can do that is because you're producing, you know, in sweatshops in, in Asia, really. Um, and I understand not everyone, you know, is able to afford that, that type of level, but I, I'm kind of just trying to justify why brands are price positioned, um, in different ways. Yeah. Uh, to answer specifically your question on sustainability, that, a value that for me as, a, as an individual is extremely important. But I also think consumers are really awakening to this. And I think it's going to be one of the core values that people look at in the next 10 years. Um, and people are, are taking that into consideration when they shop. So concretely, in terms of, you know, our thought process where you know, I guess where we think about it the most is when we choose our fabrics and our factories. Yeah. So as much as possible, we use um, recycled fabrics, um, if not organic fabrics, um, natural fabrics, and then, you know, all of our factories are audited for sustainability and ethics also. I love the fact that you didn't say this, but in the sense... If you want to create beautiful products that are sustainable, then potentially um, and and do last longer, then there is a a, a price position on on that. There is a, a price aspect of it. But you mentioned a few things that I'd just like to sort of get your your perspective on. Number one, uh, with Brexit around the corner, how do you? I mean, you're an online digital business, so. Do you see that having a big impact? I mean, it might sound like a dumb, dumb question, but do you see like it having a big impact on you? Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, one of the reasons being, so obviously, um, 35% of ourselves in, are in the UK. Uh, we're actually based, we have an office in London. We have, a, you know, some team members in Paris. Um, we have a very big, uh, following in the US also. Right. And the rest in Europe, mainly France. Now today, a big thing, well, there's two things, you know, when you think about geography, other than obviously, you know, the customer base is, um, shipping costs and also duty. Yeah. As you said, Brexit is coming very soon. So I, I guess the first thing we did is, 
taking other warehouse already in Europe and yeah. we moved some of our stuff there. So I think it's definitely an action that people need to make, especially in the current circumstances where there's no Brexit deal as of yet and we need to be prepared for a no Brexit deal. Yeah, no, absolutely. In in terms of your digital channels that you spoke about, obviously, I say again, obviously, uh, you can find um, you can find your stuff in physical stores in 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 the UK today. Yeah, you can. Not our own stores, but in places like Selfridges, Fenwick, um, so high end department stores. And so, with that in mind, what's your what's your view on physical retail? Because you talked about having the flexibility of having the, the sort of power to move around digitally and connect with your customers through uh, Instagram. What does that make you? How do you? What, yeah. What's your view towards physical for, for you guys specifically, rather than you know the, the the physical retail in general? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm very in favor of physical retail. One the reason being. I think one of, you know, our products are differentiated because of the quality, yeah. especially because of the fabrics. And I think unless you've actually touched the fabrics, it's very difficult to understand. And you definitely can't see it from a photo, you know, online. Sure. Um, and obviously, so I think it's important for people to see that product in person. I think the second point is, um, so that's, I guess, the sales part. The second part is, is more linked to events. Now, obviously, we are in lockdown or at least, um, I don't know how you say it, but, uh, distanciation at the moment. Yeah. So we're not doing these events anymore, but before we used to organize a lot of yoga classes, you know, pop-up stores, things like that. So I guess to answer your question, I'm not, um, someone who thinks that a brand um should necessarily be 100% digital. Yeah. I think it's important uh, also to build a physical community. Yeah. I think the human, you know, interaction is extremely important. Um I would personally love to have a couple of LOT physical stores, own brand stores. Yeah. Um obviously it's not something we've done yet, but it's you know something we're thinking it's about for Fantastic. Um, whenever budget permits. Yeah, understood. With Christmas around the corner, what's your view on what type of Christmas you guys will have? That's a really good question. And you know what? We haven't actually spent that much time thinking about it. <laughs> uh, and it's, 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 um, it's a kind of a subject we keep, keep pushing away because, you know, things are changing so much. You know, for obviously we've had a couple of Christmases behind us as a brand. Yep. And Christmas typically isn't the strongest period for us at all. Um, I would say January is much stronger because January is a moment when people are getting, trying to get back into shape. And, and actually the entire period January to June is, is a very good one for us as people want to get their beach body back. Yeah. Um, so Christmas, you know, in the past, we've done a lot of, uh, gifting, um, events, promotions, trying to sell the product as a, you know, as a gift, but it's not necessarily, um, the best period for us. 
Well, we have done those trying to create content around Christmas. So done things like what we call 12 Days of Loyalty, which is, you know, kind of an advent calendar for our customers where we provide them with gifts in partnerships with other brands. But yeah, to answer your question, even from a personal perspective, no one really knows how Christmas is going to be this year. Yeah. So we haven't really done as much as we should have. No, I got you. I, I understand. When you sort of looking out further ahead in terms of into the next two years, three years, where do you see your brand? Do you, oh, there, there was a strong association with yoga and, and the, the sort of health aspect of the brand. Do you see yourself expanding out beyond? I noticed actually uh, you had knitwear this brief on, on, on Instagram when I was looking. So was that yeah. a new thing? Was knit, have you done knitwear before? Have I just missed it? No, it is a new thing. So it's a really good question. As a brand, when you're launching, obviously you're quite focused and then you're able to go into new categories. And I think that's the beauty of Ernest EOT and why I love it so much is that it's really, I don't see it at all as, you know, a very, very niche brand. I think it has massive potential. Actually, my ambition is for it to be um, a lifestyle brand. So really across many, many categories. And the way I would define it is bringing chic into comfort. Right. Um, and so just to be more specific, there are a number of categories that we have started in the past. Um, as you mentioned, knitwear, there's also loungewear, um, swim. So swim actually did incredibly well for us last summer. And it's um, something that we're definitely going to be pushing, you know, next summer. And I don't know if you noticed, but we also expand into running. So we do have a running capital. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the sky is the limit. Like, I think um, there's so many things we could be doing. We're thinking about an accessories range, for example. Um I think product expansion specifically, we're looking at so many different categories and, and you know, there's a lot of new stuff coming in too. Yeah. Um, but obviously that's, that's one dimension of it. I think for us as a brand, um, I think geographic expansion is also super important because, um, we already have sales in so many different countries. Yeah. And then finally, um there's you know a digital dimension i think and um expanding our online self but also imagining new ways of how we can communicate with the end consumer so our ig live um online classes have done really well yeah and so i guess it's seeing how we can communicate with our end customer in a way which is not just selling products to them but also in different formats. So obviously we did these classes on Instagram, you know, can we do them on YouTube? Can we do them on our own, you know, uh, website? Um, what else can we do other than these digital classes? So yeah, lot to think about. Yeah. That, I mean, you, obviously you mentioned the word ambition and, and there's absolutely, I can see that there is no shortage of that. Just to shift gears in terms of this is the female leaders uh, sort of series. And one of the questions I've, I've asked, um, which has had a mixed sort of response, 
what was it like being a female founder in the in the first phases of your business and even now actually because if you are going to grow i assume that you know some of this may be funded growth as opposed to organic growth how, how much does it or does not play a part in your in, in your journey no that's a really interesting question and you know what so i as you said i used to work in finance and we still have these like um bi-monthly dinners with my former friends, colleagues, and we talk about that all the time, which is what it's like to be a woman, um, you know, in today's professional world. Um, so I guess, first of all, I'm very used to being, you know, um, one of the few women, both in engineering school and then working in finance. Yeah. Um, and I'm a big believer of the fact that at the end of the day, People listen to competence. Um, so that's one point. Yeah. I guess the second point though, I, I definitely think fundraising for the first time as a woman is incredibly difficult. Um, I think we have to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I know that, you know, where we are today, um, as in a bit more established, there's definitely more demand for it. And, you know, there's some initiatives about female-founded, um, you know, investments, things like that. But I don't know. I think people feel more comfortable, um, you know, in terms of having a male leader, at least investors. Yeah. Um, and even from my side, so, you know, the fashion industry is very female-dominated, which was completely new to me. Yeah. But if you think about diversity, you know, we, we have very few men in our company. Actually, we don't have any at the moment. We've had uh-huh. some in the past. And recruiting, um, you know, I'd love to have a man in my company. Okay, there's a space for me. Uh, anyone running your technology at the moment? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I think there are some cliches, even in my own mind, about what it's like to be um, a man or a woman. And yeah, so to answer your question, I think it's not that easy to be a female founder. I got you. I got you. And and to be fair, that's, uh, I've heard that, that's the sort of uh, feedback I've had uh, in the sense that, you know, that there are, there are the challenges uh, for, for specifically for raising funds. And obviously if we can do anything to challenge those stereotypes and keep promoting uh, successful young companies such as yours, I think then people's perceptions will change. Yeah, and that's it. Okay, in, in terms of shifting gears again and then looking at the, the, the broader sense, you set off, and it was very evident from day one that you are a luxury brand. You use quality products, you go to quality meals, and you want to uh, provide luxury activewear. So going forward, how big is luxury going to be for you? I think the question is how do you define luxury? Okay. Um, to answer your question, the reason I positioned the brand the way I is, I, you know, I did wasn't necessarily a strategy. It was also a question of, you know, what, uh, I thought would be interesting, what I would buy as a customer. So it was quite personal. Yeah. Um, and then, um, I remember I had some price targets. Um, 
for our product and and then for our fabric. And I remember I had given, you know, specific targets for our first leggings. Yeah. And then when I saw the quality that came back, I was like, okay, that's never going to work. Like, let's double the price target just because the feel of, you know, the first fabric was, was, you know, not at all, um, you know, what I would have worn as a customer. So I think one of the drivers is definitely what that positioning allows me to do. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, I think you have to question what is luxury because it's not necessarily linked to price. And in that sense, we have decreased some of our prices, mainly because we've cut off the wholesale margin, which allows us to give, you know, more value to the end customer. Yeah. Um, and if I take examples of brands, um, like, uh, you know, the US brand Glossier, which is a beauty brand on the one end. So creating affordable, even Uniqlo in some senses. Yeah. I think, um, is very aspirational and creates beautiful basics. Yeah. And then on the other end, which is thinking of the French cafe where you get your coffee for one year or 20, but you know, it tastes amazing. Um, I think, uh, luxury doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily linked to the traditional price value proposition that people can see. And then I think my last point would be, I think traditional luxury brands haven't necessarily been good at, um, communicating in the digital world, um, whether it's Instagram or their website. And actually, before you, I was just speaking to a content creator, you know, what we wanted. And she was like, okay, how many pictures do you want from the shoot? And she was like, it's 10 okay. And I was like, no, actually, we need like 100. And they don't need to all be perfect because they're only going to be seen once by our, our followers. So just a very different way of communicating to the end customer. And I'm glad you, you brought that up because you have mentioned digital and data in uh, the previous answers. I was curious in terms of moving closer, obviously Instagram has been a really big part of building your community. How do you see yourselves moving closer to the customer or in the digital way? Yeah, no, definitely. So actually that's the initial initiative we're working on at the moment, which is, um, you know, as a brand, you need to focus on getting new customers, but also you need to focus on engaging your existing customers more. Um, so that's your focus at the moment. And um, that's, I guess, your number of channels. Instagram is one of them. Um, one which is completely untapped on our side is, um, you know, even more traditional CRM. Yeah. So reaching out to, and actually a lot of brands are focusing on that today. So sending emails um, or even reaching out by SMS to your existing customer base. Um, obviously, we're not planning, I mean, it might not be obvious, but we're not planning on doing any physical events at the moment, even sure, though it's something we get asked quite a bit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to be more specific, how are we re-engaging with them? So, for example, on Instagram, we're doing more surveys, sometimes what we're doing is Instagram Live, and then sending them much more tailored emails. So we used to send them newsletters, but now we're going to try to tailor them to, you know, who the actual customer is. So 
um, you know, depending on where they are, who they are, what they fought, how many times they fought. So it's a question of segmentation. Understood. So in conclusion, uh, Marion, in terms of where people can get more information about all the beautiful products that you have, where, where, where can they find that more? No, that's, uh, thanks for asking. So if you guys want to find out more about us, um, I think the best place is really our website. So, uh, ErnestLeoT.com. Okay. I, I will, I will, I'll include the uh, link to the website on the show notes. So I'll, I'll do that. Great. And then our Instagram, I think, is also a really great place to like find out more about the brand. So with that, Marion, thank you so much uh, for giving me some time and, and sharing this Friday afternoon with me. Uh, I look forward Thanks to so much to you. seeing you soon sometime in, in the real world. Thanks a lot. The Retail Podcast, a global conversation hosted by Alex Resvan Viennet.